0: This Dharma talk by John Sutherland falls into a well. Was given at Saragorda Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on January 17,
1: 2008. I've been talking for the last couple of weeks about a series of koans called um, Bodhidharma's three turning words, and um, the last couple of weeks I was speaking about snow and silver wall. What is Zen? Snow in a silver bowl. And um, the second of the th- of the three questions and responses are: What is the way the clear sighted person falls into a well? And the third is: um, What is the sword so sharp that it would cut a single hair blown against it? And the answer to that one is each branch of coral holds up the light of the moon. I wanted to say one last thing about snow in a silver bowl uh, as a way of, of entering what is the way the clearly enlightened person falls into a well. Whatever your visceral reaction to the image of snow in a silver bowl, it is vivid. You know, It, it captures your imagination. And from what I can tell most people don't have a really wide angle on it you don't think of well there's a ball and it's sitting on a table and it's in the there's this room and there these people around you. you really sort of focus in on that that simple image of the snow and the silver bowl so um, sometimes we have a Visceral reaction to a koan like that. Some people feel about snow in a silver bowl, it's cold, it's chilly, and are repelled by it because of that feeling of of chilliness. And koans aren't supposed to just transport you into a state of ecstasy or a, a wonderful world in which everything is perfect. Sometimes they will work by raising the delusion so that you become aware of it and then it offers you the antidote to that delusion. And I think that's one of the ways that snow and a silver bowl can work. If you have um, a, a reaction of you, it's cold, and you stay with that, what's happened is you're no longer in relationship to the koan. You're in relationship to your reaction to the koan. And that's the end of the conversation. It's just the smallest turn from the bowl to you, it's cold. But but the relate the possibility of a relationship with the Koan is over if you then make that that small adjustment and stay with it. So um, the Koan wonders about the possibility of looking at it, imagining it, and thinking, oh, it's cold. Now can you feel the difference between Oh, it's cold and ew, it's cold. It's a completely different thing. And I think, you know, we can just feel that a life <coughs> lived from the position of, oh, it's cold is going to be a very different life than a life lived from the position of ew, it's cold. Yeah? And one of the things that happens with, oh, it's cold, is that you don't have to love the cold, but but it allows you to stay in relationship to the koan itself, to the image itself, and not move off to the conversation with yourself about your own reaction. And maybe something can change if you stay in relationship with the koan. Maybe even that relationship can develop a kind of warmth that makes the coolness of the image not so important anymore because it too can be part of a relationship that is warm. So the technical term for taking each thing as vivid and particular and having your whole attention is Tathagata. That's what Tathagata means, which is one of the the names of the Buddha. And it's just thusness something arises and it sort of fills the screen and you are really in some kind of connection with it and it is vivid for you and particular. So that takes us to the second poem: what is the way the clear-sighted person falls into a well. And what I mean by that is Life offers us many things, and one of the things that it offers us repeatedly is wells. You know, that suddenly the earth opens up in front of us, and we are invited to fall into something dark that we don't know the bottom of, and we can't control, and we don't know what's going to happen. So that's Tathagya. If we accept that invitation, if a well is what presents itself, the way is you step into the well. If a mountain presents itself, the way is you climb the mountain. So um, I wanted to spend some time unpacking that a little bit, the idea that uh, wells are bound to appear, and when they do, what about the possibility of just taking that next step into them? Um, In the software world, when you complain to a software engineer about you know, the, the, the way Microsoft Word is a completely impossible bloated, stupid program, you know, or Photoshop does these things that you just can't possibly predict or control, the software engineer will say, oh, that's a feature, not a bug, of Microsoft Word or Photoshop. That's a feature of the program, that's not a problem with the program. Um, Anybody who's done any construction on their house or remodeling knows that a feature of construction or remodeling is that it will take twice as long as you thought and cost twice as much. Right? That's a feature, not a bug. Okay? So wells are features, not bugs of life. They're not mistakes or detours or um, or obstacles or problems. That's life itself. So. They come in different ways. You know, one of the ways to understand the clear-sighted person falls into a well is that no matter how clear-sighted you are, you're going to make mistakes. That's pretty simple. That's pretty obvious, you know. So sometimes we fall into a well because we've made a wobber of a mistake. Sometimes they surprise you. You can't see them until it's too late. You know, your foot's already out over the abyss and, um, and you hadn't seen it ahead of time. So they catch us by surprise. And sometimes we really do choose on purpose to take that step into the well. The Cohen literature is, is full of images like that. Step from the top of the 100-foot pole. <clears throat> um... Fall off the cliff with open hands, which is quite lovely if you think about it. Not only do you have to fall off the cliff, but what would it be like to do that with your hands open? So I want to um, come back to that falling because, however you got there, once you're falling, it's pretty much the same, right? No matter no matter what led up to it, falling is falling. And I want to I want to come back to that. But before I do, I want to say a word about that. Moment at the lip of the well, because actually it turns out, I think many of us spend a lot of time at the lip of the well, looking in, wondering about it, dropping stones to see how deep it is, you know, walking around it to see if there's any other option, um, wondering and stopping and not doing it and bargaining and negotiating and trying to figure out ways to somehow make it easier or better or or less risky to fall into the well. And that's a um I mean that's a pretty understandable human response. And it is risky. There's no question about that. It's always risky when we take that step in the dark. And I guess the question I'm wondering about is whether that risk is any more difficult or challenging or painful than what it feels like to never jump what it feels like to remain forever at the lip of the well looking in that has its own pain you know, that has its own difficulty and sorrow i think so i don't think it's a matter of choosing safety versus risk you know it's more a matter of choosing choosing your, your difficulty choosing your problem choosing maybe your sorrow um another thing I think we can sometimes think is, oh wait, I'm not ready. You know, I've got to get better, smarter, wiser, more compassionate, I've got to get my life together, I've got to learn how to repel. <laughs> you know, I've got to, I, there's something, you know, I've got there's more I can do to, to make to, to try to make the outcome be a better outcome. But the well has appeared. The well is already there. And Here I wonder about the question of blessing your life just the way it is. If the well is here, I bless my life as it is, with all of its shortcomings and loose ends and unresolved things, and I'm willing to take all of that into the well. I'm not put off the leap because there's always some way I could be perfecting myself a little bit more. So then we fall. And I wanted to just say a few words about falling. We've been talking about this so far as a kind of personal thing in our, each of us as an individual in our own lives. But it can seem to me that we are falling, all of us, from one end of the universe to the other. And that for a while, we are falling together through this part of the universe. And this part of the universe is made up of um, earth and air and fire and water and difficulty and sorrow and tremendous beauty and poignancy and all of that. And we have a choice. We can accept the invitation that is offered by this part of the universe that we're falling through, or we can refuse it. It's really possible that not all of the universe is like this. You know, now, these days, we don't even know if our laws of physics apply to to all of the universe. It's very uncertain. And it may well be that it's quite different out there, you know, in other galaxies, on other planets. Um, Maybe it would be ecstatic to be a molecule in one of those vast interstellar clouds of gas, you know, to be sort of surfing the currents of the universe. Um, An astronomer recently said that when when those great clouds of gas bump into each other, they make a sound like chiming. So... Maybe it's like that. Maybe it's different other places. We sure know that this world isn't all ecstasy and chiming. There's a lot else that happens. But if we say, as we fall through this part of the universe, "Okay, um, you know, I'll take the sunsets, but keep your diseases," we're refusing part of the offer. We're refusing part of the invitation. About what it is to be alive here, to fall through this world. And somehow I just can't find a way that I would be comforted on my deathbed to think, well, you know, I should have avoided a lot of suffering, I should have avoided a lot of life. Good on me. And the time will come um, soon enough that we will fall into the darkness and through that and onto something else and onto some other part of the universe. There isn't that much time left for all of us as I look around the world, the room. Um, So, what will you do as we fall together through this world? Will you accept the invitation? Will you take the step off into the air, into the unknown, and see what happens? Will you... Embrace that as a part of life. Will you bless your life? And um, to bring in the question that we've been asking in lots of different ways over the last year, do you fundamentally trust your life? Even if you can't see what's going to happen, even if you're not entirely in control, do you trust your life? And if you do, what's that like? And if you don't, what's that like? So the clear-sighted person, willingly, with open hands and an open heart and a wish and a prayer, falls into a well, if a well is what presents itself. And that, according to these old koans, is exactly the way. So I'll stop there, and I would love to hear your comments and questions.
0: I'm a little perplexed by the difference between my reaction much of a reaction is ooh, it's cold Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way Mm -hmm. it's just a different kind of reaction but that's how I'm (coughs) connecting
1: with that image one way or the other so okay, so you and I are talking and you say something that hurts me Mm -hmm. doesn't matter whether you meant it or not but it does and I think, wow Deborah really just hurt me. And then I, I'm out of the conversation with you, and I'm thinking about how you just hurt me. Okay, It's really a different thing for me to stay in the conversation with you and ask her, you know, what did you mean by that? So you're right. There is a sense in which both are reactions, but one turns away, <coughs> and the other remains in the relationship.
0: So in a sense, they're just different kinds of reactions that create very different
1: kinds of lives. Yeah, I mean, so, and then you can even say there are different reactions to our reactions because the reaction that turns away is a, is a reaction that assumes that whatever we're feeling is the most important thing. That I think you hurt me is now more important than that I'm having a conversation with you. So my opinion is that my reaction is the thing I need to attend to. It's the most important thing. Another opinion is my conversation with you is the most important thing, and so I'm going to stay in and see if I can figure this out. Right. It just to follow my
0: line. <coughs> one reaction separates you, mm-hmm. and one reaction keeps you in there. Okay. Yeah. And part of what makes them different is that that second reaction has all this charge to it. Negative. And to use the language that we've been using,
1: it's partial. My hurt just took control of the ship. Right? Whereas if I stay in, in the conversation with you, that's a more whole and a more realistic picture because you're in there still. Mm-hmm. Right. right? It's a bigger it's a bigger view, it's that more spacious view. And a lot of the practices is that, I think is about stepping back from those times when we get partial into this possibility of a greater human wholeness. Which has to do with your connection with that person, too. Yeah. Right. yeah, you're still here. The my world is bigger because it includes you still. Which is a more realistic view, right? Because my world does include you, right? so you want to feel that. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like anything that would happen out of that would be a more realistic outcome than anything that would happen out of my, you know, my letting my hurt do the shit and take me off somewhere. And that seems like a good thing. Is that, is that addressing the question?
0: Yeah. So do you have any advice for how to... Um,
1: you from going partial. (laughs) (laughs) Notice it. Notice it and interrupt it. Interrupt it. Yeah. Yeah. -hmm. By making a conscious effort to come back. Yeah. If your intention is to notice it and stop it, then you'll interrupt it automatically. And then you (coughs) you can pull back into the moment before the separation happens. So it's a matter of undoing rather than having to do something else. If you just undo, then it will take care of itself because you'll be back in that moment where it's more whole. The moment before is the moment I went off and got hurt and left the relationship. It's not the moment before you. Oh, I thought you were. Not the moment before I said it. Whatever it was you said, yeah. So it's the moment before you react. Yeah. I see. yeah and from there you know you just do this really standard inquiry which is well what was that but i bring it to you you know I'm not just doing it inside my own head yeah, well, what was that what did you mean by that rather than you know so that's another that's another of the changes rather than making a statement about what happened i'm asking the question i'm inquiring to what Um, the kind of trust in your life I'm talking about doesn't have to do with whether th- things turn out the way we want them to turn out or think they should, you know, which is, which is an ego, le- ego level of trust. Mm-hmm. This is something below that. Even when really bad things happen, you know, and I don't want to minimize bad things at all, but even when really bad things happen, How do we feel about life? Do we trust life? Are we mistrustful of it? And if we're mistrustful because of things that have happened, does that have to always be that way? Is there a way to work with that? So that we can incorporate even the bad things that have happened as our life and, and, and bless our entire life, not just the parts of it we liked better. But whatever question strikes you the most, whichever seems to light up the most, do I trust my life or do I bless my life? Take that question with you and keep it like a stone in your pocket and bring it out every once in a while and check it out and see what happens. Okay? All right. Thank you all very much.
0: These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at org